You're listening to the Jack and Chill Podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Jack and Chill. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Jack, and I'm Sochal. And today, I wanted to ask Jack a few questions about what things were like before the internet and social media kind of took over our current worldview. Jack and I are from different generations, at least actually a couple generations removed, because I'm a Gen Z millennial cusp. And Jack is a Gen X cusp. Correct, Jack? Yeah, I'm like right at the very, I'm right on that kind of edge of like generations X. And uh-huh. and then millennial would be the next generation. So I'm I'm kind of I'm still Gen X, like mm-hmm. according to the mathematics. Like they said, the cutoff is 1978 apparently. So uh-huh. I was born in 77, but I'm much okay. more comfortable in the generation, like millennial kind of understanding of the world. Um, yeah. See, that's interesting because for me, I'm exactly there. Basically, I think millennials, there's like debate. Some people say they cut off at 95 and some people say they cut off at 96. And then some people say that Gen Z starts at 96 or at 97. So just depending who you ask, I'm like right in that Gen Z millennial time frame because I was born after 95. So it's kind of like right. right in the. So to me, there was never a time that I really remember before, like internet and computers and like cell phones. And so a lot of like hanging out and the culture nowadays is like, you'll send someone an instant message, like a text or something, and they'll respond and be like, Hey, you want to hang out today? Or you want to go get something? And I just am curious about like how things were, for you when you were like a teenager or like in your 20s how did it's gonna sound kind of ignorant but like how did people hang out like did you call your friends up on the phone and like organize a meeting time what if somebody was late like you couldn't just text them what if somebody flaked like did you just assume they were dead or like (laughs) never see them again did people ghost did people ghost there's so many questions anyway go go ahead before i get ahead of myself um so it's it's different for some groups like my group of friends we were not on the internet really at all like we this is i graduated from high school in 1995. um some people had beepers you remember beeper beeper was like you could get like a little message that would send it um to a little a beeper is like a little it's just like a little box thing that you that like puts a phone number on there. So that tells you you should go to a pay phone and call this number. And so right. it's just basically signals to you that there's a message. Now there was, uh, there were ways that you could leave messages on a beeper by using like codes and stuff like that. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. Using like numbers and stuff, but I never had a beeper, so I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And, um, uh-huh. it, it was, yeah so my friends and i we would call you would you'd memorize you had your friends numbers memorized that's one thing that's very different is that back in those days you had to memorize your phone number and your friends phone numbers you had a list of like maybe seven or eight phone numbers that you memorized 
that you would never mm-hmm. forget. I still remember them to this day. I still remember my best friend's That's phone crazy. number. I don't know if they even live there anymore, but I could call him his parents, not right. him. I could call his parents and be like, uh, can Ben come out and play? <laughs> I could call right. him right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So, so you would call, you'd call the the house. And so parents kind of helped as like mediators too. So they would like, you know, um, if my friend called me and I was in the shower, my mom would just take a message and it might say like uh, Ben called, uh, meet him at this place at this time. And so mm-hmm. you have a time, you have a place, and then you just go to that place at that time and you wait and you hope that your friend will come. And we, you know, they we always did. We always showed up when we made an appointment. We showed up. We weren't always on time. Actually, I was the one who was always late. So I think my friends knew that they just needed to wait for me a little bit. But I think there was a lot of like, there was a lot of meeting at like, um, there were a lot of like hangout places. You know, like there's only three or three places that everybody could be. There's only, you know, everybody's going to either be at this person's house this person's house or this person's house. And so right. you would call over to the three places and you would find your group and then you would join in and then the group would go out and, and do things together. There was a lot of accidental meetings back then, you know, cause you didn't know who, who was where, you know, you didn't know who was at what bar at what place. So you would go and just drive there. And maybe if you're lucky, you'd run into some other friends um, it was a lot more of unknown, but I, I liked it. It's actually better. But there were times where you just like totally left out because if everybody leaves before you mm-hmm. get a hold of them, then right. you don't know where anybody is and there's no way to get a hold of anyone. You know. So would you then just chill at home or would you go out on your own and try to see if you gonna see someone you know or no, some people would go out on their own and just see who they run into. And when I was older, in my 20s, I would just drive to my a bar where my friend was a bartender. And then mm-hmm. I would just hang out with him until I run into somebody that I, that I know. Um, sometimes right. I would just stay home. I'd be like, I guess I'm not going out tonight. And in high school, I had a bit of a problem where I just couldn't get myself to call my friends. Like I, I felt weird about it. Like, I'm like, I don't want to bother them or something like that. And so I went for this like six month period where maybe three month or four month period where I didn't really go out at all on the weekend. I just kind of became a recluse and I just would watch movies at home on Fridays and Saturday nights, but I got really bored. And I I was like, and my friends were like, you never call us. So we're not going to call you. You know, it's like, of course, high schoolers. Yeah, well, it wasn't really. I think I understand why they, you know, it was like, why am I always making the effort mm-hmm. and you never make any effort? But it was more of a, I think it was more of a like an anxiety situation. Introverted where I just, and yeah. you were more, you were used to them taking the initiative. So you didn't really think of it that way. Right, right. But yeah. I think, I think if you're going to, if you're going to be in a friendship, it does, it does involve two way effort. And if it feels like one group is doing all the work and the other one is just like kind of going for, along for the ride, um, right. it's not really 
it it doesn't feel really fair to the other other people in the group. So so what I should have done is just I should have just picked up the phone and called them, and they would have happily invited me along. But they were I think they were waiting for my phone call, and it took me a little while to kind of get out of that. Um, I don't know, it's like a little darkness, you know, dark episode, and uh, and come back into the light again, and and uh, and and call my friends and and reestablish those those connections. So you have a teenage daughter now. Would you say? Do you think that you had like a richer social life, and on average, your peers and friends had a richer social life back then than you think? teenagers do nowadays because i feel like Mm. you kind of get a glimpse into how teenagers are now through your daughter too yeah that's a tough one i mean my daughter is uh an only child and so she her friends are everything like they're they're like siblings i mean they're family um and she makes friends everywhere she goes she has no fear of contacting other people and asking them if she can join and and it's so yeah. the opposite of my personality. <laughs> I have such a hard time asking people to let me participate. It's and it's so it costs them nothing. And it's, it's like, of course, they're going to say yes. Like, why would they say no? I'm not like, you know, annoying or, you know, I'm not. I'm, I, I think I add value to the group. But but it's just I think it's my own insecurity. It's kind of winning in my mind where. I'm like, oh, you, you're not good enough to hang out with this group. You know, you you deserve to stay home alone and and not have any friends. And it's like, why am I punishing myself for this? So right. my daughter has none of that sort of neuroses uh, that I had. Um, right. Good. And uh, and and but is her is her is it richer? I think so. I think I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because you appreciate. It's hard to appreciate those meetings that we mm-hmm. like we had some of the most fun times I ever had were just random chance of just running into people or, or, or just like how, how hard it was to organize getting together made you appreciate yeah. it more. I don't know if that makes sense. I think what wh- I think, I think it was richer in the past. I'll tell you why, because you had to work for it. Uh, you mm-hmm. had, you had to wait, um, every week until your favorite show came on and there was no way you could record it on the, on the VCR, but you couldn't record it until it came out. There wasn't like this on demand TV stuff that you have, we have now. It was like, I'm going to wait a week to watch this 25 minutes of, of show and, and enjoy it. Just soak it up because it doesn't, it will not come back on again for another week that mm-hmm. you really appreciate television and shows when you have to wait for them. And I think you really appreciate getting together with your friends when you, when there is no, when you can't just have it at your fingertips, you know, I can't just go on Instagram. I couldn't just go on Instagram and just see my friend immediately and talk to them. I'd have to actually call them on the phone. And if they're not home, then I don't talk to them at all. Um, So you think, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I was just going to say, do you think because I think I think society has become like more reclusive with the technology age and it's like in the podcast I only sound like a boomer that hates technology 
I don't. I really like technology. I think it's great for being able to stay in touch with people all around the world. I've traveled and lived several different countries and places. So as you know, it's really important to me to be able to maintain those connections through, you know, the internet and through social media. But I do think we have less community than we used to. And even in, in my shorter life and my instances, I remember that there was more of a kind of get together type of culture and there was more hanging out with friends and there was more, not just Mm -hmm. us as kids, but I feel like our parents would get together and then the kids would get together and there's all the neighborhood shebangs and like there was only, or like people would go out to hang out spots. This wasn't so much like my generation, but even my generation still went to the mall a couple times, I guess, when we were yeah. teens. I know that was a, hu- a bigger thing in the 90s and like early 2000s before that's I That's was... the place we used to go, the mall, right? Because oh. that's where you'd run into people and just walk around the mall. Yeah. Okay, well, you got to tell me what it's like. What was a typical like mall hangout like? I mean, the mall, you just, you know, this is the mall was the place where you would. That's the only way you would connect with people from other schools. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is like, you know, otherwise you'd never you wouldn't you'd only meet people from your high school or your middle school. But if you go to the mall, you might expand your friend horizon even more because mm-hmm. you can meet. Well, when I say meet people, we're talking meeting girls. Right. So <laughs> from other schools and mm-hmm that you know that's that's like uh exciting you know because they're these are like they're, they're like foreigners it's like another country you know it's like at that time it's like that's uh, so funny. whoa you know they're not from white bear lake they're from uh north st paul that's crazy all the way into north st paul um but yeah, so th- this was this was the you know the you would walk around and then there was like you know Orange Julius or whatever the McDonald's the food court that was the place where you would go, um, yeah. So I I would say the uh, the mall was kind of the uh, the homepage <laughs> of right. the you know what I mean like the yeah like the yeah. spawn spot. But, yeah, but I, but you, what you're talking about is 100% right, because we used to have something called block parties way mm-hmm. back in the 80s. A block party was like a party where um, you would close off the street and then all the neighbors, all the houses on that street, everybody would make it was a potluck. So you would make one dish and you would bring it out and then you get to try a dish from everybody's house. Some people mm-hmm. made cookies, some people made cake, some people made a goulash, like a noodle dish, and some people made pasta, and some people fr- made hamburgers and hot dogs. And this never happens anymore. There's There are no block parties anymore. Like, this is just a yeah. remnant of the 80s. It's interesting because they're like, there's some overlap um, between, like, our childhood. When I was a really little kid, we still we still have block party now. Um, in my neighborhood, which is really rare, but I think it's just because m- the neighborhood that I grew up in anyway, it was such a like family and community oriented neighborhood. There's like a park in the middle and there's tons of families that live on those blocks. Mm-hmm. So because it was such a like family and neighborly culture, we still have uh, the block party every year. 
but it kind of fizzled out in popularity and like diversity when I was like a kid up through maybe when I was like a preteen, because now I don't think it's really the way that it used to be. Um, And I remember vividly how everyone, every house would participate in any way that they could. My family would make like some kind of Mexican food and drink. And my dad, I remember one year, my dad, he made like mojitos and he made like a version without alcohol for the kids and a version with alcohol. And when he was setting up, he left like a giant tub of the alcoholic one on the front porch because we all had porches because of the South. So we would like he left this giant tub of alcoholic mojitos on the porch because he was setting setting them up. And the kids like ran because we were just unsupervised as well. (laughs) And so the kids ran up and like drank. <laughs> they didn't know it was alcoholic because it had like a lot of sugar. It looked like and, lemonade or something, right? Yeah, and it was yeah. like fizzy water and stuff. So they were like, "Ew, this <laughs> tastes weird." And they're all like drinking <laughs> the alcoholic mojito, um, and you know that was crazy. And now I feel like that would be a lawsuit. Like, wait, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Whereas the parents that day were more like annoyed at their kids because like you see that it wasn't set up yet why'd you run up there and like start drinking this lemonade out of a bucket like yeah 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 no yeah but it's it's funny how the sense of community really changed i don't know what if it was the internet if is that the reason why we i think the pandemic and the internet kind of together but i think that brings us to our next topic which i want to talk about and that is hosting culture jack and i wanted to ask you if you think that hosting culture has changed over the years i think it really has through the pandemic it's become really different even like the internet and the pandemic and the isolation and everything and i feel like the access to everything we have in our homes like we have movies on netflix now we have we can uber eats or doordash food to our door um, all of those like modern comforts that are so instant means that there's less community and there's less need to seek entertainment elsewhere, like host or have like social gatherings. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think convenience killed um community. Community. Com- yeah. Killed community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Convenience killed community. Um, you can't have you you can choose one or the other. If you want to be if you want to not really move from the sofa, then you're going to be watching TV, watching de- on demand television, ordering takeout food and and working from your computer, you know, doing everything from even socializing through the computer or the phone. It's all just at our fingertips, but I feel like you know, we've I've had this discussion with my my class, um, my Zoom class. Um, mm-hmm. My students, I asked them, like, do you think you can have? I think we talked about this too. Can you have real relationships um, on, and with internet friends? And I think you can. Um, yeah. But I think that a lot of people choose that. You know, because it's like, for example, geographically, we're we cannot. You're in Mexico. I'm in Korea. You know, there'd right. be no way for us to get together and record, um, right. save for, uh, you know, very expensive weekly flight. You know, I mean, there'd be right. insane, right? Um, right. So, you know, we're it's the best that we can do. 
is is uh is is be friends through the internet and that and that's good um but when when we have the ability to meet our friends physically in person and we choose to just do it out of convenience from the sofa i think you we're actually devaluing those friendships so the the hosting culture is i think a symptom of that sort of behavior right it's like why do i need to have a party I've got all my friends on my contacts list right here. I can just send them a text message and we can talk through our phone or Skype or whatever and or Zoom. And I don't need to make the effort. I don't need to get dressed. I don't need to dress up, put on makeup or wear nice clothes or whatever we need to do to get ready and go out. Oh, yeah. I can just <laughs> my house. I mean, it's crazy how you you don't really need to leave your house for any reason anymore. You can have right. groceries delivered to your door. You can have takeout. You can watch Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and Disney Plus all from the comfort of your home. Yep. You can play video games. You can join Zoom chats. You can do anything. You can talk to your friends through the internet. And I think it's true. I think that is one thing that is really devalued community. Well, another thing that I was thinking about, and I wonder your take on it, I think that the, at least in the United States, the change in like the economic kind of downturn for people of a younger age and the lack of home ownership, mm -hmm. I think that also contributes because when I think about, you know, my parents were not that much. I mean, they're probably 10 years older than I am now when they got their first house um, or, you know, anything like that. So for cookout cultures and hosting and stuff, it's just so much more comfortable when you have your own house or you can afford to rent a place without roommates, at least, and that has a backyard and has like space mm -hmm. for people to talk around. And you have extra money to spend on dishes for hosting or on drinks. Right. And I think a lot of that has changed. Like, I think we don't have that extra money anymore. And I think we don't have that extra space anymore to really host people the way that we used to. Yes. In America, hosting was a, a very much a middle class um, activity. I would say, because in the upper, the the high class, the the upper class, they would it was extravagant. You know, they would throw ga galas and parties and mixers and whatever. You know, a, right, a black right. tie events. You know, there were events, right? Middle class people, they just their sensibility is different. Even if they have a lot of money, if you're middle class sensibility, if you have a middle class sensibility, you prefer jeans and a t-shirt and a barbecue and a, and a cold right. beer in the backyard. That is what you enjoy. Like you would enjoy right. that more than wearing a tuxedo and eating uh, uh, a yeah. <laughs> right. Eating a, a shrimp cocktail or something like that. So, but the problem is that um, in America right now, there's the middle class is getting squeezed and pushed down, 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 down so that we basically are, we don't have a middle class very much anymore. There's not much of a middle class left. And I think what happens when you start to impoverish your middle class and so that they lose value in their homes or lose their homes and or can't afford to buy a home, then what you're losing is also that 
middle-class sensibility, which is that we can have, you know, now instead of having a, a barbecue where I buy a bunch of meat and have my neighbors over to drink a beer, um, I'm lucky if I can afford a six pack for myself and a couple hamburgers that I can cook on the stove in my kitchen. So right. this is the, this is an economic issue. And it just, it's a decision that a country makes is like, do you want to have billionaires or do you want to have a strong middle class? Right. And I'm, I'm like, I want a strong middle class because right. those are, if we talk about the, the greatest, you know, time in history, it was post-World War II. After World War II in the 1950s and the 1960s, that was a time where the middle class enjoyed the most, the highest percentage of the wealth that companies were earning, and they were sharing it with the middle class. And then in the 70s, 80s, 90s, in my lifetimes, because I was born in 77, all I've known is what we call austerity, which is like, oh, no, the middle class has too much money. They don't deserve it. We need to funnel that up to the wealthy people and just we don't need a middle class and so you know not to make this uh podcast all political and, eco- and no and i think it's good but, i mean i'm not uh, against it hey i'm not against it no <laughs> i think I'm, that- uh, i would i would be happy to tax billionaires out of existence every dollar you make so. over 999 million dollars yeah it goes right to the government's pocket and we can put that back into community and um yeah, I mean, you could call me a socialist, whatever. I'll I'll take it. I can take it. Yeah, and I think a lot of times now it's like NGOs and private organizations are expected to pick up the slack for what governments no longer have the funding to do um, or do have the funding to do, but tend spend it on military and whatever else, misspend the funds. But I think it's, it's unfortunate because ultimately we do see there's like a depletion in the American culture and the American dream. And I think it it used to be a culture where it was like more carefree. Pretty much anyone in the middle class could have a home. Anyone in the middle class could expect to go on vacation. Anyone in the middle class could expect to host several parties, a Christmas party, a block party, Summer summer barbecue. But now I think it's become kind of like a depressive wasteland. And I notice it so much in the U.S., which is a highly capitalistic culture, and also a little bit in Korea, which also the work stress and stuff in Korea is really crazy. Compared to Mexico, even though Mexico is a far poorer country than South Korea or the United States, I find that the sense of community is still prioritized. And a lot of people still own homes because there's like family ownership. Like your mom might have had a home and your dad might have had this property. And then you have two kids and one of them gets a house. Another one gets X property where they can build their own home. And because there's still so much home ownership, it's like those basic needs of home ownership and then food, which is low cost are covered. And that gives people a lot of freedom to still enjoy community. Yes. No, that is very true. And most countries, I would say, at least most countries, like I've lived in Thailand, where mm. the block party is like a daily, <laughs> I mean, you you just get a bunch of, what you do is with your neighbors and stuff, we would just get a bunch of food, people would bring it out, we would snack, food is so cheap, 
and we would yeah. eat it outside and we'd grab the guitars and we'd play and sing songs and we would maybe drink a little whiskey out there, you know, share with everybody. It was a communal thing. It was it was about community, but it wasn't it, it would had nothing to do with rich and poor because um poor, poor middle class whatever everybody does that it's part of the culture right. and in america it was just more of a middle class thing and and of uh you know upper class thing um i think that the culture has also become more selfish in a way in my own personal experience i think it's also like where do you want to spend your money or what do you want to spend your money on and we get bombarded with so much advertisement in the u.s and stuff and in korea personally when i was in korea and in the u.s i used to spend so much money on clothes and like makeup and all these other products that i didn't need and now that i'm in mexico it's like i don't even get the urge to really buy a new dress or a new pair of shoes unless i feel like i really need it mm-hmm. like oh my god these shoes are getting worn out i should buy a new pair or something but in the u.s it's like as soon as i land i was just hit by the consumerist approach of like oh i need to buy all this stuff and so it's like kind of where we choose to spend our money and i feel like in later yeah. years i noticed my generation has become very like um kind of almost proud of being super isolated and of not wanting to host, not wanting people in their home and wanting to be like super reclusive. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. And I, I still see like people my age trying to hold on to that a little bit. So they'll have, they'll still have uh, barbecues in the backyard here and there and try to get some friends involved, but it's, it's not like what it used to be. It used to be just yeah. a really uh, community and neighbors and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I just feel like we've lost something in and I think maybe it's it's a it's a there are multiple reasons. Part of it is the isolation, um, isolating aspect of social media. And mm-hmm. part of it is the convenience of all this on demand television and on demand Internet access and connection with with people. But it's not real connection. It's just. Uh, internet connection with people right. and then the other part of it is the economic aspect of it is the the re- re- reduced uh wealth of people in the middle class that just can't afford it so at the end of the day you what you've got is more people inside uh letting you know just everything is so quiet in america when i go back home and i walk down the street there's nothing happening it's just like, like no people, people work and go inside their house and they hide in there and that's it. It is so weird when it's like if I walk out down the street in Mexico, like you said, there's like a block party every day. It's like there's only the throwing fireworks every single day, um, bands marching down, especially right now, which is like party time. I mean, but it's always like that. The summer, it's like that. Then this time is like that. And then in the new year, it's like that. So it's yeah. like it's always really festive. And when you go to the US, it's crazy. It's like a wasteland or something. It feels like you're walking through the zombie apocalypse. There's like no one out there. Right. Totally desolate. No, it's, uh, yeah, that's, 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 I I don't know. I I guess I'm just, I can only think that these are the reasons why that we've, that we've kind of discussed is, is the reason why that it's so isolated. And I mean, honestly, if that's like the best that, I don't know, capitalism or corporations can provide for us. Like, is this is what happiness looks like? Then I don't know 
if it's really worth like, is it really worth being the richest country in the world when you when it just it seems like they have the least fun in the world? Like it's the most uptight kind of. I don't know. I, I uh, isolating, isolated, yes. lonely, codependent, like depressed. People have like really codependent relationships with their significant others and are like, oh, I only see this person every day. This is not calling you out, Jack. I know that you know. No, no, yeah. That's, it's, that's, like, it's just it's kind of like it's it's weird because like you need more social interaction than that. But I think we just get so comfortable that we're comfortable with isolation. And that and that brings yeah. me to our next topic, which is, Jack, do you think that grandparents, like the culture around grandparents has changed? I was reading some Reddit posts the other day that some parents, new parents were complaining that they feel like their parents, their kids' grandparents, are not as helpful with childcare and not as involved in their children's lives as their grandparents were. Mm-hmm. And like, while obviously we don't expect grandparents to do all the childcare or anything. I have to say my grandparents were involved in our lives or were pretty open to offering to help out and to spend time with us. They seem to want to spend time with us. I think part of it is like where you have to go to find work. So for example, I'm working in South Korea. My parents live in America. They just can't be traditional grandparents when you know, I grew up like 10 minute drive away from my grandma's house. So, you know, my parents could always send us over there. If we needed a babysitter, we could spend the night at grandma's house. You know, she'd let us stay up a half an hour later till 1030. We could have, you know, infinite number of chocolate chip cookies. Um, it was always, uh, it was always fun to, to spend the night at grandma's house. Um, you know, again, my even my my wife's mom lives in Seoul, and I live outside of Seoul. So we don't, it, you know, it's an hour and a half or two hour drive to get into the city. It's yeah. just that's it. Just makes it more difficult. Um, but I think that like what you're talking about is a little bit different. It's like the pa- grandparents are are there, uh, like in the city, in the same city, but they're just not necessarily. As enthusiastic about being part of the right, but I think what you're saying actually does have a huge impact because I think people used to live like 10 with less than an hour away from grandparents, and now we live, um, at least an hour or more. A lot of people complaining do live about an hour drive from their from their parents, at least. Yeah, and I think we lived about half an hour from my paternal grandparents when we moved to Kentucky. And when we lived in Iowa, I think we lived like 15 minutes at most away from my grandparents. Yeah. My paternal grandparents. Yep. So, I mean, different, totally different situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, they can be so much more involved in our lives because there's so much more proximity. Right. And uh, someone else made an important point that I think that we are having children older now. So it's like, you know, grandparents are kind of worn out by the time you have your first kid. They're like 70 and they're ready to take a nap. (laughs) They don't want like a screaming toddler running around. (laughs) No, my parents are lucky. We had uh, my daughter is 15 years old. So my parents were still in their 50s when Uh my daughter was born. 
Um, right. Probably maybe right about 60, but um, no, they were probably in their late 50s when uh, when my daughter was born. So I'm almost 50, like I'm 47, right. which is so you crazy. Were 32 yeah. when you had your daughter? Um, maybe I was even younger than that. Might have been 30. My wife was 29 and I was 30, something like that. Wow. Well, um, how old were you when you got married? No, 31 or 32. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I was 32, maybe. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think we got married when I, we were, when we, I was 29 or 30, something like that. Okay. So yeah. a couple of years later, you had your first kid. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's different. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I think you're right. I think it's different. But I also think that like um, these days, I think um, there's something about that generation of the, the, what we call the boomer generation, baby boomers. Yeah, yeah. They're, my dad. <laughs> they're selfish. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. Yeah. they've kind of enjoyed their their time at the at every step of every every step. They they were born into the forties and fifties, which were the 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 good economic days. Prosperity. Of, yeah, yeah, economic yeah. prosperity. Then they they uh, university was cheap, so they went to university, but they didn't have a lot of student loans. And then they, in the eighties, they decided that greed was good. So it's good to make as much money as you possibly can on wall street or any way you can. And they decided the government was bad. So they wanted to cut regulation and cut government spending and government programs. And then now they have all the money. So they buy up all the houses and now they're going to rent it to all the, their kids and grandkids. And, um, and they're uh, enjoying, you know, a cruise and that, you know, taking care of your, your son or daughter's, Grand, your grandchildren gets in the way of going on a cruise, you know, every right. other month or whatever, because how are you going to spend those millions of dollars that you made over the past, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, 40 years? Know. Or yeah. So I, I, you know, part of it is me to me is, is like the selfishness of, of that group of people. Um, of that generation. Yeah, it's like a lot generation. of people said, uh, you know, I when I was reading this Reddit thread, a lot of people said, you know, they're the parents who only sent us to grandma's house. So now why would they want to take care of another kid? Like they did. Why would they want to be active in child care right. of their grandchild? They weren't active in their own child. They, really. they offloaded all the work to the grandparents. And now that they're the grandparents they're Yeah. I, you know, in Korea, that's it's very different. There's there's just um, Korea and Mexico, I think, are kind of similar in that, like the generational it take. We say it takes a village, right, to raise a child. It takes mm-hmm. a village. Um, what that means, I think, is it takes aunts and uncles and grannies and great grannies and um, you know, uh, and neighbors and friends. Yep. And and they're all involved, but everyone's you. It's not just you're not just taking. You're also available when it's your time to give. It's a give and take relationship. And I think what uh, the younger generations now have said is like, um, okay, you you know, grandparents are like, we're we're not gonna watch your kid. We're busy. And then I think right. the younger generation says, I'm not gonna take care of you when you're old. So right. better sort or that the out generation says, I'm not going to have kids. You know, grandparents are like, hey, or their parents, older parents are like, hey, when are you going to pump out some grandchildren? Basically, Yeah. And they're like, I don't want to have kids because I don't have the economic means to take care of a kid. And I know you're not really going to help. And the village just isn't there for a lot of people yeah. now. And I that mean, makes people we, hesitant. 
Yeah, and- as we kind of outlined in our previous conversations or mm-hmm. previous topics, you're like what you said is the community is not there anymore. There's no yeah. there's no uh, infrastructure. It's very much isolated and you're on your own. And if you can't make it work on your own, no, there's no one there. There's no safety net. There's no government safety net. There's no familial safety net. There's no economic safety net. You're just basically on a high wire. And if you fall, you're done. You could be homeless, which is the worst thing that could really happen to somebody is to be homeless. And especially if you have a kid, you could lose your kid um, if you're a single parent. So I think the just the the dangers of the of the current economic situation for so many people is, is like you said, stopping them from having kids. Like I'm not going right. to do, I'm not going to have a kid because I'm barely surviving on my own. Right. We live in a state of constant precarity, whether you're doing well or not. It's like the whole world is on a balance between hanging in there and crashing, burning down yeah. because of climate change, because the economy has become very precarious because of the pandemic. Um, and because our health infrastructure was not set up to take care of a pandemic. And then we have all these repercussions that are coming through culturally and socially on every single level. And so I think it just makes people so much more hesitant to take on responsibilities like having children, like home ownership, like being part of someone else's village and being uncertain if they're going to be there for you or not. And yeah, I think it's just the state that the world is coming into sadly is not the one even I grew up in and definitely not the one that you grew up in. No, I do think the younger generation, though, people your age and the generation below you has discovered the the lie, the falseness of of the what of the promises of of a pure uh, free market capitalism, you know, what it can deliver. It's like, no, no, no. We need to free this capital up because when you free it up. It's going to it's going to rain down on everybody, trickle down economics, you know, Um, and here it comes. Get ready. Here comes the rain. You know, that's what they keep telling us for 40, 50 years, you know, just deregulate, cut taxes. And it's just going to there. It's going to it's not going to accumulate wealth at the top. That's going to all trickle down on top of you guys, you know. But how much toilet paper can a billionaire use in a year, you know? (laughs) How much soda can a billionaire drink in a year? Because it's not billions of dollars worth. I'll tell you that much. And right. so um, it, what what we really need to understand is that like this younger generation, I hope they start to realize that the lie of pure market capitalism. And so they'll say to themselves, um, we need to we need to return to the old ways, you mm-hmm. know, and we, which is connection and community. And taking care of each other, making sure that uh, your brother and your sister have food. And, you know, um, and I don't mean brother and sister literally. I mean, figuratively, we are all brothers and sisters. We all we are all humans. And I think when we start to, to see the world through a different lens of like community, then we'll start to see a change in our politics and a change 
in our economy, but it has to come from the ground up, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my hope. You know, I, I that's what I hope. And and when that young generation, and when I'm old, and that young generation is asking me to participate, I'll happily participate in that because right. I don't need, you know, I'm not concerned with. Um, uh, you know, money a, and acquiring a lot of wealth. If I know that there's a, you know, if I know that I can go to the doctor and, you know, I, w- I would rather be in a system of community and taking care of each other than a, than a system of where I'm okay, but that's just about me and my own, you know, me, right. my wife and my kid, are we okay? Um, Cause I just don't think like, I, I don't want to live in a world where so many people are not okay. It's just not a fun right. place to live. It's just no. not enjoyable. Pressing. Yeah. And it does affect everyone. I mean, except maybe the 1% at the top that are just jollivanting around while the rest of us are suffering and dying. <laughs> but well, the, for the other 99%, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I, is it a, is that fun to live in where there's no, where the streets are, are just completely run down and, and everyone is destitute and yet your little gated community. Um, I'll but tell you what, like, you know, who built that gated community? Who built that bomb shelter where you keep all your stuff? Cause I'm pretty sure in a in a in in a collapse, like a societal collapse, um the people that built you that that nice shelter are gonna dig you out of the ground like a truffle. And yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, they're going to, they will, and they will devour everything you have in there because, um, you know, if you, if you, if you don't, uh, if, if there's, if the middle class is not surviving, then they're going to eat the rich, you know? And so right. that, that really is the, the reality. And I, I just, I don't understand the mentality of rich people thinking that it's better for them to have all, accumulated all this wealth at the top and and not have a strong middle class. The strong middle class was the the most secure we've ever been, I think. Um, right. And, and it also makes you think, like, if the world is ending, do you want, like, a billionaire CEO on your team? Or do you want uh, a hardworking blue-collar worker on your team? I mean, I think I'd rather take blue-collar worker on my team anyway than a billionaire CEO Absolutely. because someone who knows to work, how to work in a team environment, someone who gets their hands dirty and someone who knows how, like knows some practical skill, either they were working, any kind of skill, they're going to have more practical skills, in my opinion, than a billionaire CEO is going to have. I agree. hundred percent, hundred percent. They add no value to society. I find, um, I know that a lot of people, uh, like to worship at the altar of like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and stuff, but it's not, (laughs) it's not for me. Um, I think we have to change the name of this podcast to the socialists or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. I mean, it's just our personality coming through. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I mean, you know, it, it, it's true. I mean, what we're saying at the end of the day is true. And I think as the other 99% can see it, the people who aren't at the top, even people who do well for themselves are suffering in today's economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think they're suffering because of the lack of community. And that that is something that brought us to, brought, you know, that these things that we're talking about, just like it takes a village to raise a child, hosting uh, barbecues in your backyard, having block parties, 
and not living your whole life through social media. On, yeah, social media. Um, if you you put all that stuff together, what you get is a kind of zombie apocalypse. You know what I mean? Like you walk around right. and you're like, "There's nobody in the park. There's no kids in the park. There's no is did everybody die? Like where is everybody? Yes, that's yeah. exactly how it feels. But yeah. Okay. Well, if you agree with us, let us know. Leave a comment down below. Shoot us an email, and we will see you guys next time to discuss next week's um, joint topics. <laughs> yeah, the Jack and Jack and Chill show. Yeah, Jack and Chill podcast. See you guys next time. Jack and Chill podcast. There we go. Nice. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.